If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we're looking this morning at verses 13 through 17. We are going through the book of James verse by verse for those of you who are visiting, and we find ourselves in chapter 4. Now, I'm not going to be expositing chapter 4 because we looked at this section last week, and the title of the message was Living for the Will of God. And in this section, James is writing to a group of wealthy merchants. Basically, they were acting independent of God. They talked about going to this city, that city, making a profit. They were making plans independent of God. And so James has to write to them and basically call them out on their arrogance and their pride, not because they were planning, not because they wanted to turn a profit, not because they were entrepreneurs, but because they were making plans independent of God. They were not living for the will of God. And so James gives five reasons why, by way of review, that we are to live for the will of God. He says, number one, we don't know the future. Secondly, our earthly life is short. Thirdly, to uh, avoid proud, evil boasting. Number four, it demonstrates our dependency upon God. And then finally, not to make plans, keeping God in mind is willful disobedience. And so that's living for the will of God. What I want to do this morning is digress one Sunday, and I want to piggyback off verse 15 because James says, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we ought to do this, that, or the other. I want to piggyback off that worded or that phrase in verse 15, the will of God. And this morning, I want to talk about not living for the will of God, which we looked at last week, but discovering the will of God. I couldn't resist. I was going to move on into chapter 5, but this is a burning question that a lot of Christians struggle with. What is the will of God for my life? Now, St. Augustine made it very easy. If you want to discover the will of God, St. Augustine said this, love God and do what you want. And there is some truth in that because if you're loving God, God is going to direct your life. But a lot of Christians ask the question, well, How do I discover the will of God when making decisions? I know that I'm to live for the will of God, but how do I discover the will of God when I'm trying to make a decision about who to marry or my vocation or whether or not I should purchase that car or house or whether or not I should relocate to another city? We all face those decisions. And again, I believe God gives us a modicum of freedom when it comes to decision-making. We're made in his image And therefore, to be made in the image of God means we have the capacity to think, feel, and to make decisions. And so God doesn't want us to be slavish when it comes to those day-in and day-out decisions, but there are some major decisions in life that we all have to make. And a burning question for many Christians is, how do I discover the will of God? We've all struggled with this, and we want to know the mind of God. And so for this morning, what I want to do is talk about principles on how to find God's will. But before we get into those principles, what do I mean by the will of God? The Bible defines God's will in a lot of different ways. And I realize that God is a simple being. You can't divide God up into sections. And so when I divide up his will here, I'm not implying that God is a fragmented being. But you do see different aspects of his will in the Bible. First of all, there's God's determinative will. God's determinative will. I don't have time to look up the passages, but God's determinative will is his will that he is going to accomplish regardless of what man does. For example, the second coming of Jesus Christ. God is determined, excuse me, 
<clears throat> that Jesus Christ will come back again. Secondly, we could talk about God's permissive will. God's permissive will are those things that he doesn't necessarily want, but he permits. If you read Exodus chapter 21, he talks about manslaughter. God may permit someone to be raped. As I'm speaking right now, someone is being murdered. Is that God's ideal will? No. It is his permissive will. He allows it to happen. Thirdly, there is God's will of desire. We would call this his emotional will. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We know that God's desires are not always fulfilled. Not everyone is going to be saved. And then, of course, you have God's fourth revealed or moral will. This would be God's will as revealed in the Bible. God has revealed his moral will as revealed in the scripture. You and I are called to obey God's revealed moral will. And then finally, and this is the one we want to look at for this morning, we would call this God's hidden will or his secretive will. This is his will that we don't know until he tells us what he wants us to do or we look back and we see God's providence in our life when we see what God has done in our life, his hidden and revealed will. For example, in 2 Samuel, David cried out to God and said, God, should I go fight the Philistines? Am I going to win? And God says, go, fight the Philistines, you will win. You see, David didn't know what God's mind was on that issue, and so he sought the will of God and God revealed it to him. And so as we look at God's hidden secretive will, how do we discover that for our life? When it comes to the major decisions of life, God wants us to seek his will because, listen, as a Christian, my number one goal is to please God. And that's one of the marks that I'm submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ is that I'm willing to seek God on the major decisions of life. And so, again, I'm going to do this morning what they tell you not to do in seminary, and that is to give more than three or four points. This morning, I'm going to give you 12 <clears throat> and so they're going to be very quick, but these are some principles. I didn't want to turn this into two messages because I want to continue in the book of James. But let me give you some principles this morning to help you discover God's secretive hidden will. The first thing that you and I need to do when it comes to discovering the will of God is ask God in prayer for guidance. Ask God in prayer for guidance. Notice it says in Matthew 7, Jesus said, he gave a generic prayer, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously. In other words, if you need wisdom, and Jesus said in Matthew 7, if you need direction, he says, ask, seek, and knock, and you will find. You say, well, why should I pray about it? Because the Bible promises that if you ask God when it comes to direction, he will give it to you. Psalm 32.8 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And so the first thing to do is talk to God about it. Ask God in prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? When I went to Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama, when the Lord got a hold of my life and I began to seek him, I had a strong desire to major in Bible. At the time, I was majoring in psychology. 
but I wanted to switch my major to Bible. I had a strong desire to learn the Bible. That was God putting that in me because of my calling. But you know what? I prayed about it because I was a new Christian. I was seeking the Lord. I said, Lord, do you want me to switch my major from psychology to the religion department? And that's exactly what I did. And I began to study the Bible. So ask God in prayer. Second principle that you and I need to employ is determine to have an obedient, submissive will. This is important. We must determine to have an obedient, submissive will. I read to you Psalm 32, but I want you to notice the bottom of it that many people do not include when they read this verse. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God says he'll guide us, but notice what God says to us. Do not be like a horse or a what? Mule. In other words, have a submissive will. Don't be stubborn without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. In other words, you got to pull the mule. you got to pull the particular beast. Why? Because they naturally do not get in line. And so if you and I are going to know the will of God, the second principle is we must have an obedient, submissive will. Now, this means two things. Number one, it means we have to be obeying God's already revealed will. As a pastor, I get a lot of people that say, what's God's will for my life in this particular area? And the first question I'll ask them is, are you already obeying God's revealed will in the scripture? Because listen, if I'm not interested in obeying God's revealed will in the scripture, why is God going to reveal to me his hidden secret will when I'm not interested in having an obedient heart, a submissive will towards what he's already revealed? And secondly, it means I have to lay aside my preference. Now, we all have desires, we all have preferences, but when we're seeking the Lord over a major decision, a lot of times we have to pray through having a submissive will to where we say to God, God, I want your will more than my will. Because a lot of times we want something, and you know what? It may not be God's will for us. And so we have to be willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to put this on the altar, and I'm willing to do what you have called me to do, even if it means I don't get my preference. For example, R.C. Sproul, you've heard of this theologian, he's now in heaven. I was listening to a sermon by him one time and he said that he was dating his wife, Vesta. Vesta was a non-believer. And of course, you and I know that missionary dating is dangerous. We probably shouldn't engage in it, but R.C. Sproul was dating this woman and he loved her. And he said, She wasn't a Christian, and he knew that it had reached a crossroad in their relationship where he either was going to marry her and disobey God because the Scripture says not to marry a non-believer, or he was going to give up that relationship. And so he prayed. He said for a whole day or two, he fasted and prayed, and he begged the Lord that Vesta would come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what? He had to be willing to put that on the altar. Because if his wife, Vesta, did not become a believer, he was going to have to walk away from that relationship, which would have been very painful. Well, she ended up becoming a Christian, and the rest was history. But he had to be willing to have a submissive will. And so when you seek the Lord over decisions, and you're thinking about that job transfer, you're thinking about marrying that person or maybe that purchase, you need to say, Lord, what is your mind in this situation? Lord, I'm willing to do what you asked me to do, even if it means I don't understand or I don't really prefer that. There's a third principle when discovering the will of God for our life, and that is this. We need to be 
controlled by the Word of God. We need to look to the Word of God for direction. We need to look to the Word of God for direction. Notice, if you will, Psalm 119, verses 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Notice God's word guides us. In Isaiah chapter 8, a passage you've probably never heard before, it's a wonderful passage. Listen to what God says. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spirits or spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? In other words, don't consult the witch doctor, don't consult the soothsayer, don't consult the palm reader or the medium. God says this, should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? And the answer is no. And here is what God says, to the law and to the testimony. He says, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. In other words, God says, if you want to know my will, don't go to the spiritist, don't go to the medium, don't consult the dead. He says, go to my word. Why? Because my word is the word that gives direction. Now, God's word gives us direction when making decisions in three ways. Number one is the commands of Scripture, the commands of Scripture. In other words, ask yourself this question when making a decision. Is there a command in the Bible that God has already spoken about? If he has, then I don't need to seek his mind because God has already spoken. So, for example, God says in 1 Corinthians 7 that you're not to marry a non-believer. So you don't need to seek the will of God. Lord, should I marry Jane? She's not saved. Now, you could pray for her salvation, but in the end, God has already spoken and given a command, and he has said, do not do this. And the reason I say this, it may be obvious to all of you, but there are a lot of Christians that say, well, the Lord told me that I'm to marry this person. The Lord told me I'm to leave my wife and marry this person. No, the Lord didn't tell you that because that violates the Scripture. There's a second way the Word of God directs us, not only the commands of Scriptures, but secondly, the principles of Scripture principles of scripture. What do you mean by that? Well, sometimes the Bible doesn't speak directly and give us a command about some of the decisions we have to make. For example, if I want to purchase a car, the Bible doesn't speak about purchasing a car because they didn't have cars in that day. Now, if you want to purchase a horse, if you want to purchase something else, that's different. But a car in the Bible days, they didn't have that. And so what is a principle of scripture when it comes to purchasing a car? God could care less whether or not it's blue, green, or black. He gives you the preference or the desire of your heart. Here's a biblical principle. Can I afford it? That's what the biblical principle is. Can I afford it and still give God my first fruits? Can I afford it and not be living on the edge constantly? See, that's a biblical principle. A command would be stop. Like if you're driving your car and you see a stop sign, that's a command. A principle is drive slowly. It doesn't tell you the speed. It just says drive slowly. That's a principle. So God reveals himself through his word, through the commands of Scripture. When you're making a decision, ask yourself, is there a command in the Bible? You may have to get out of concordance. Secondly, is there a principle in the Bible? And then thirdly, and this one you got to be careful on, this would be a personal word from the Scripture. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is sometimes when you're making a decision and you're seeking God, there are times in your quiet time where God will take a passage 
and that passage will come alive and God will speak to your heart through that verse and he'll say, <clears throat> this is the way, walk ye in it. Now I say we got to be careful with that one because sometimes people say, well, the Lord told me personally I'm to do this and it violates the scripture. You have to be careful with this one because sometimes we think we hear from God. Oh, the Lord told me through that passage of scripture, his spirit spoke to my spirit that I'm to move in this direction. And sometimes that's not God. That's just your subjective feelings. And so you got to make sure you don't use the Bible loosely in order to justify what you want to do and say, well, the Lord spoke to me in a very personal way. I had this encounter with God. And we've all had encounters with God where God has spoken to us through his word. But you got to make sure it doesn't violate the rest of Scripture. It reminds me of the guy that was trying to seek God's will. And so he would just open the Bible to wherever it came and wherever his finger would fall, he would say, all right, that's what the Lord's telling me to do. And so he opened the Bible and his finger fell on the verse that says Judas hung himself. And he thought, wait, there's no way that God could have said that. And so he said, I'll try again. And he opened it up and his finger fell on the verse that said, do thou likewise. And he thought, no, this can't be. And so he said, I'll try it one more time. He opened the Bible, and his finger fell on the verse that says, whatever thou doeth, doeth quickly. <laughs> we don't want to use that method. But God's primary way of revealing his will to us is through the Scripture. There's a fourth way that God reveals his will to us, and that is this, be led of the Spirit. John 16, I realize this is a passage that's promised to the disciples. It's a unique promise, but I do think it has application for you and I. He says to the disciples the night before he died and went back to the Father, I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You see, the Spirit guides us. Romans 8:14 says all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. But if you are led by the Spirit, Galatians 5:16, you are not under the law. Another way that God leads us to discover his will is through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a Christian, the Bible says... The Holy Spirit indwells you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to live in you at the moment of salvation. And once you get saved, the Bible commands us daily to be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. We are to be spirit-led Christians. Now, I realize there are some camps within Christianity that take the Holy Spirit to an extreme, but we don't want to swing the pendulum and become fearful of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He guides us and he leads us when making decisions. How does he do that? Well, the Holy Spirit guides us often through promptings. Sometimes we're prompted by the Spirit and we don't even realize that we're prompted by the Spirit. Sometimes it's an inner pressure. Sometimes it's a still small voice. Sometimes it's a lack of peace. Somehow you're going to make a decision and you don't feel a peace in your heart. That could be the Holy Spirit warning you. Sometimes it could be the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Philippians chapter 4. You feel a peace about the decision. And so the Spirit will often prompt us and guide us. Sometimes the Spirit warns us. I remember I was part of a pastor's group in New Jersey when I pastored, and there was a pastor in that group, and he said one evening he was driving home, and he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, not in an audible voice, but a prompting, you need to go into that nursing home and you need to see so-and-so. He knew somebody that was in there. Well, he was tired. He didn't want to do it. And so he said, I'll do it tomorrow. He said he found out the next day that that person died that night. 
And he said, I learned from that when the Lord tells you to do something and he prompts you to do something, you are to follow what the Lord is telling you to do. Now, obviously, we're to test the promptings of the Spirit by the Word of God because the, the Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. The two are in harmony with one another. There's a fifth way in which God guides us when making major decisions, and that is this. We need to seek out godly counsel. We need to seek out godly counsel. Proverbs 20:18 says this, plans succeed through good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. In other words, plans succeed when we seek out counsel. Proverbs 15:22 says this, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. In other words, when you're making a decision, there's nothing wrong with asking for wise, godly counsel. Why? Because other people have a perspective that you don't have, and sometimes people will give you an angle that you've never seen before. They may confirm what you feel like the Lord's been telling you, or they may caution you or warn you against making a bad decision. And this is why we got to be open and we got to be teachable to godly counsel. There's a sixth thing that you and I can do, and we're going through these quickly for the sake of time, and that is evaluate your circumstances. Evaluate your circumstances. What is God saying through your circumstances? Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8. Paul says this to the Corinthians. I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work, here it is, has opened for me and there are many who oppose me. Notice Paul said he had an open door to be able to minister where he was at in Ephesus. He assumed that was the will of God, so he walked through that door. Acts 16 on Paul's second missionary journey, it says they passed through Phrygian and Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, but notice what it says, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, we don't know how the Spirit prevented them. It could have been through a vision or some type of prophetic word. We don't know, but the Spirit said no. So in this situation in Acts, it was a closed door. So one of the ways that God guides us is through circumstances. God uses opportunities. God uses open doors. God uses closed doors. God will use sometimes failure. Sometimes God will use success. God will close out your job because he's going to open another job. God works through opportunities, whether open doors or closed doors. Now, sometimes an open door doesn't mean it's God's will that you take it. And there are times where there's a closed door that God may want you to beat that door down. I think of William Wilberforce when he fought against slavery in England. He had so many closed doors, but he kept banging on the door. And eventually they outlawed the slave trade that was taking place in England at that time, sending slaves to Africa. William Wilberforce, because of his indomitable will, he was able to outlaw slavery that was going on. You see, there was a closed door, but he kept pushing. So look at your circumstances and ask this question. What is God doing? Is he giving me opportunity? Has he opened a door? Sometimes a promotion may not be God's will. You know why? Because that open door may take you away from your family more, even though it's more money. And so you got to evaluate and ask the question, all right, Lord, is this of you? There's another thing that you and I can do, and that is this. 
Examine your personal desires. Examine your personal desires. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will what? He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, God will either give you those desires, he will put them there when he wants to lead you in a direction, or you have your own desires because you are a unique person and God will grant you those desires as long as they conform to the will of God. And so ask yourself this question, what do you like to do? Where do you want to go to school? Maybe that school is what you've dreamed about. Maybe God will give you the desire of your heart. People often ask me, how did I get called to the ministry? I didn't have this encounter with God like the Apostle Paul where he knocked me off my horse and said, I want you to go into full-time ministry. You know how I knew I was called to full-time ministry? It was the only thing that I wanted to do. It was my consuming desire. When I recommitted my life in college to Christ at Samford University, you know what? It was the passion of my heart. I wanted to learn the Word of God. I wanted to study the Word of God. And then I began to teach, and people said, hey, Mike, I think you have a teaching gift. I thought, well, maybe I do. And so that's all I wanted to do, and I switched my major, and I studied theology, and then I went to Bible college. And listen, if you ask me, what do you want to do the rest of your life? This is what I want to do. This is what I love to do. This is what I'm passionate about doing. And you know what? It wasn't some encounter with God. It was God putting that desire in my heart. And so God will often use the desires of our heart. Now listen, make sure your desire is godly because if your desire contradicts the word of God, it's not God. But God will often use the desires of our heart. There's another thing, and this is number eight in our little list here, and that is know your gifts, your talents, and your personality. Know your gifts, your talents, your personality. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, he says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each has his own gift from God, one in this way and another in that. Now, in the context, he's talking about singleness there in marriage. Some people have the gift of singleness. Some people don't. But in the context, even though he's talking about marriage and singleness, I believe there's a principle. Each person has their gift from God. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 4 says, verse 10. As each has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. In other words, God has given each of us talents, gifts, and he's given us certain skills. And you know what? God will often call you to do his will based on your gifts, based on your talents, and based on how he's wired your personality. In other words, every one of us here has a shape. And I'm not talking about your body. I'm talking about your shape. Write these down. Spiritual gifts. We all have spiritual gifts. That's S in shape. And then you have heart. Heart represents your desires. What do you like to do? Some people love math. Some people like science. Some people love uh, helping other people. Then you have what is called attitudes, okay, or abilities. Abilities represent your natural talents. Natural talents are different than spiritual gifts. Natural talents you're given at your physical birth, whereas spiritual gifts you're given at your new birth. Let me say that again. Abilities are natural talents you're given at your physical birth. They just have to be developed. Spiritual gifts are given at your new birth when you get saved. So God will use your spiritual gifts. He will use your heart, your desires. He will use your abilities. Then every one of us here has a unique personality. 
structured, unstructured, analytical, non-analytical, concrete, artistic. We all have different personalities. And then finally, life experiences, good, bad, ugly. God takes your shape, which is unique. Every one of us has a unique shape here. And he'll use that in order to determine what he's called you to do based on your life experiences and all those things above. And so sometimes it's not rocket science. Look at your personality, look at your gifts, and look at your unique talents, and God will reveal his will to you through those means. There's a ninth thing on our little list, and that is this, employ a fleece, employ a fleece. This one is controversial, but I do want to mention it. I don't have time to go into Judges chapter 6. Judges is not just the only passage that deals with the fleece. You can look at the book of Genesis where Abraham put out a fleece when he was finding a spouse for Isaac. He did a fleece there, but Judges is what we're familiar with. You remember Gideon? God called him to fight the Midianites, and Gideon was not a man of self-assurance. And so he said, God, how do I know this is you calling me to do your will and fight the Midianites? He was scared. He was intimidated. So he threw out a fleece, and he said, God... If the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, I'll know you've called me to fight the Midianites. And then, of course, he prayed for the reversal of that the next day, and God confirmed the fleece. And so a fleece is sometimes something we use to confirm God's will. I don't recommend using it all the time, but I've used it in my life. When I was teaching at the Christian high school that I was teaching at in Miami, we had two kids. My buddy that I grew up with in high school, he went to Dallas Seminary. He was coming back and telling me all that he was learning. And I knew that God called me to seminary. I knew I was called to be a pastor. And I wanted to get a higher level of education because I had a hunger for the Word of God. But I was in a good teaching position. I was teaching ninth and 10th graders in high school the Bible. Now listen, if you never taught ninth and 10th graders, it is a formidable task to do that. But I was three years into this, had two children, and I wanted to go to seminary. It was going to be a step of faith because I was going to have to live on the ragged edge financially. And I wasn't a great student in high school. I goofed off. When I got serious with the Lord, I began to take my studies seriously. So I I went back and forth. I drove my wife nuts. One minute I'd say, all right, we're going to seminary. The next minute I'd say, I don't know if the Lord wants me to go. So I said, God, that's it. I'm done. I'm putting out a fleece. I said it was probably uh, Wednesday or Thursday of that week. I said, Lord, if you want me to go to seminary, make it snow in Miami. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I said, God, if you want me to go to Columbia International University in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, you want me to go to seminary there, have somebody call me this Monday. Now, I had never heard from the school. No one ever reached out to me at the school. So I told Laura the fleece. We both agreed on it. Monday came. I come home from teaching. I walk through the door. This is before cell phones. Laura says, Mike, check the answering machine. Hit it. Hey, Mike, this is Rick Higgins from Columbia International University. Was just calling you to see how you were doing and what's going on. Boom. I knew. God called me to cemetery at that point. Oh, did I say cemetery? I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Sometimes God will use a fleece. You got to employ the terms. Make it a realistic fleece. But again, people argue against it because Gideon did it in a lack of faith. And I probably had a lack of faith when I put it out. But God knew that I needed that at that juncture in my life. Well, as we wind down, number 10 in our list, be open to the supernatural. And I'll qualify this one. We see in the book of Acts, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia and concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice God used a vision to reveal his will to Paul. Now, I want to qualify this. I don't think this is God's normal mode of revealing his will. I think this is an exception rather than the rule. But there are occasions where God can use something supernatural to reveal his will to us. What does that look like? I don't know. Some people claim God gave them a vision or they had an angelic encounter or whatever. I don't think that's God's normal pattern today, but there are times where God can do that. An example would be a well-known preacher, Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley was Baptist. Charles Stanley did not believe in visions and dreams and all of those things today. But in his book, How to Listen to God, he said that he was preaching when he was in Florida. He had just taken the church. He had only been there about a year and a half in Florida. He said he loved the church he was at. He loved the fishing lakes. He didn't want to leave. And he said he was preaching a revival at a church in Virginia. And he had this restlessness in his heart. Remember I told you the Spirit sometimes will create a restlessness he had that restlessness, and he couldn't figure out what was going on. So he said, every night when I got done preaching at the church for revival, I'd go back to my hotel room, and I'd pray, and I'd say, God, I have this burden, and I don't know what you're trying to tell me. What is going on? So he said he got on his knees, and he took out a legal pad, and he drew a circle with spokes out from it, and he wrote down what he thought God was saying to him. And he said, finally, I cried out to God, God, what are you saying to me? And he said, all of a sudden, he had a vision. He saw a screen. And he said, across the screen flashed, I'm going to move you. And he said, when? And he said, September flashed across the screen, and the vision dissipated. When he got back home, he got a call from the First Baptist Church of Atlanta, and the rest was history. And you know what? When he went there, he wasn't even the senior pastor. He said, I went kicking and screaming to Atlanta. He said, I did not want to go. And for about a year or two, he was embroiled in turmoil in that church until God turned that church around, and we know how God used. So here's an example, and I have no reason to believe that Charles Stanley is lying, where God used a vision. God can do what he wants. We don't want to limit God. Now, do I think... <clears throat> this is God's normal way? No. So be careful of people that are talking all the time. Well, you know, I had this vision and this angel came to me. I've met people like that. I shake my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I move on. Okay. But sometimes God will use the supernatural. Well, as we wind down, there's two more things. Number 11, exercise common sense. Luke 14. Jesus said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. 
won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Common sense. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Ha, <laughs> Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. You know what Jesus is saying? There needs to be proper planning. There needs to be common sense. When you're making a decision about a school or you're making a decision about marriage, you need to look at the pros and cons. Now, obviously, go beyond human reason because sometimes there are decisions we make that are not reasonable that God may be telling you to go in a direction that doesn't make sense. But there are times where God doesn't want us to unscrew our brains and not think through the decision. We got to look at the financial cost. But listen, there may be times where God says, don't look at the cost. Trust me, I'm going to provide for you. One last thing as we close for this morning when making major decisions, and that is this. Make a decision and trust God. Make a decision and trust God. What do I mean by that? Analysis leads to what? Paralysis. Listen, at some point, you got to make a decision. Now, there are times where God, as the psalmist says, we need to wait on the Lord. And there are times we don't want to rush a decision. There are times like Nehemiah, when you have to make a quick decision. Remember, you offer up a prayer and you say, God, give me wisdom. There are times you have to make a quick decision. There are times you have to wait on the Lord. But listen, at some point, don't overanalyze it. Make the decision based on the data. All these principles, look at them. You say, but Mike, I still don't know for sure if it's God's will. Make the decision based on what you think God is telling you to do. Sometimes we're not going to have absolute assurance. And there are times when we need to get away to fast and pray. Going back to the first principle, we need to pray, we need to fast. But we got to make a decision. Because listen, ultimately when we make the decision, we trust God. And sometimes we make decisions that are bad, or sometimes we make decisions that didn't go as planned, but it's not necessarily that it wasn't God's will. Just because everything doesn't go my way and I suffer doesn't mean it's not necessarily God's will. When Charles Stanley went to Atlanta the first two years, he had to suffer. That was God's will. God made it very clear to him, I'm going to move you. But make a decision. When I took the church in New Jersey, we did our due diligence. I got interviewed. I went up there for a face-to-face. -face. Philosophy was the same. So far, so good, God. Then they brought my wife and my children. We flew to Philadelphia, drove to New Jersey. We looked around, and I said to my wife and my children, do you like the area? What do you think about this? They said, green light. So we continued to pray about it. You know what? I didn't have absolute certainty that's where God wanted me, but everything else lined up. So you know what I told the committee that was basically looking to hire a pastor? I said, I believe this is God's will, and I'm headed there. And they said, praise God. And the rest was history. It was a wonderful almost 12 years there. I didn't know for certain, but I made a decision based on circumstances, desires, everything else. If my wife said to me, uh-uh, I don't like this area, something's off, I'm not, I've learned. Listen, I've learned. When your wife says, do not do something, you don't do it. I've learned that. Listen to your spouse. So what did we learn this morning? Here are the principles when it comes to discovering God's will on major decisions. James talks about living for the will of God. 
How do we discover God's will when it comes to major decisions? Ask God in prayer for guidance. Number two, determine to have an obedient, submissive will. God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do regardless. Number three, look to the word for direction. Remember, God's word gives you direction in three ways. The commands of Scripture, the principles of Scripture, and a personal word of Scripture. And then be led of the Spirit. Seek out godly counsel. Evaluate your circumstances. Examine your personal desires. Know your gifts, talents, and personality. Employ a fleece. A supernatural encounter God may use, exercise common sense, and make a decision and trust God. And listen, this morning, I know one thing that's God's will is to make sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it is God's will that every person get saved because God desires that no one perish and spend eternity separated from him. And the only way to know Jesus Christ is you got to repent of your sins and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Your good works will not get you into heaven. The Bible says it is the sufficient work of Jesus Christ that will save you. And if you put your trust in him, he will forgive you of all your sins. And the Bible says you will be born again. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word to us. Thank you, Father, for giving us these basic principles that probably most of us in here know, but we need to be reminded of. And I pray, Father, that we would not only live for your will, but, Father, we would seek to discover your will because, Father, we want to please you. And your word commands that we know what your will is. And I pray, Father, that you would use us and guide us as we all make decisions. Father, I thank you for this holiday weekend. Bless us, protect us. And I pray this morning, Father, that all of us would be intentional about reaching the lost. We pray for our family fun fest coming up as a bridge event. I pray that you would use us as we reach out and talk to our community. Father, we give you thanks this morning. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.